Hey, Mark. Yes. It's summertime. It's summer in the city. It's summer at the movies. The summer movie season has started. Oh, I don't know what day this is co- episode is coming out, so I'm not entirely sure when we're supposed to be talking, to be honest. This episode comes out on April 30th. Okay. It comes out the last day of April, which normally, or at least in the past, would not have been into the summer movie season. Once upon a time, the summer movie season started Memorial Day, then it started at the beginning of May, and this year it's starting really the week before that. Right. Because that's when Avengers comes out. Yeah, that's starting the summer season, I would agree. Right, so this past Friday, Avengers came out and really kicked off our summer movie season. So here's what I want to talk about. Okay. Avengers is out. We recorded this the day that the episode came out, so we've both seen it. Tell me who died. (laughs) Uh, As someone who hasn't seen a Marvel movie except for Black Panther since maybe the Avengers, to be honest... I think that, oh, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. I think every Guardian of the Galaxy will die, especially the raccoon. I'm going to name some people who are in movies I haven't seen. Scarlet Witch is okay. a character that exists. You think she's going to die? Maybe she dies. All right. Um, Thor, maybe eaten by a giant wolf. Who knows? Based so, on my knowledge of Norse mythology. They already dealt with the wolf in the last Thor movie. Oh. Kate Blanchett wrote it. Kate Blanchett, not going to die. Unless she already died, in which case they dead. wasted Kate Blanchett, because she should be in every movie. Well, she was she was good, and she was used up. Okay. She died fighting Surtur, which is not a bad way to go out. Um, is Jeff Goldblum going to be in this? I don't think so. Damn it. I really... Uh, Hawkeye, gonna die, because he's not in trailers. He's not even credited on the poster. Really? Yeah. Maybe he just got bumped off by <laughs> So the theory is that he either is like gonna play some really big role that they don't want to spoil so they want us to forget about him or all of his stuff got moved to the next movie because they shot avengers three and four back to back if the black panther dies that's bad because he's like the only person of color they have i think they need to kill at least one black panther character because a big chunk of the movie is going to be set in wakanda Okay. So I think you got to kill off one of them to be like, oh, this is serious. But you yeah. can't kill off any of the main ones because they want to make more movies. Yeah, they want to make more movies. And also, they're the only people of color in the movies. Uh, War Machine. Who's that? Iron Man's friend. Okay. Falcon. Who's that? Captain America's friend. Okay. Uh, notice that both of them are just friends of main characters. Well, they're also, I mean, they're superheroes. Okay. They're Avengers. Okay. Um... Zoe Saldana is green. <laughs> yeah, she is a person of color in more than one way. And uh, Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. She's uh, oh, yeah. an actress. Yeah, but, you know, the pool is limited. The Let's pool is try limited. and keep them around. We've got, we got three white Chrises. <laughs> three white Chrises. And, oh, God. Yep, so none of them should die. Okay. All right, well, why don't we move on then and uh, move into our episode. Now that we've established that it is summer... Wait, you know who should die? Oh, who should die? Seth Green's voiced version of Howard the Duck. No! (laughs) What if, along with Hawkeye, he's the other surprise character? (laughs) Oh my god. What if Howard the Duck... So, Mark, you don't follow this Avengers stuff, but with Infinity War, it's all about the Infinity Gauntlet, which has the Infinity Stones in it. We've seen five of them in movies. The sixth one, the Soul Stone, has not yet been seen. And it's been a subject of much fan debate for a while. And I have not heard anybody suggest that Howard the Duck has the soul stone. (laughs) 
but we might have just cracked the case. And if we are right, then when this episode comes out, everyone is going to be amazed at our brilliance. If we're right, I will... I don't know what I will do. I will say, if we're right, then Howard the Duck probably does die because Thanos probably kills him to take the Soul Stone. Thank God. But, on the other hand... This is an infinity story, which means that you can also use stones to bring people back to life. So Howard could die and be resurrected. Honestly, he's not the Howard the Duck from the Howard the Duck movie, so who knows if he is as awful. He's not Chip Zane's Howard the Duck. Yeah, I I just... If he's in this movie, like... I will leap out of my seat. Yeah. Do I need to watch the second one to watch this? Probably. The second. Avengers. Um, Captain America Civil War is probably more important. Okay. I Which is like... basically another Avengers movie. Yeah. Now that I have Movie Pass, I'll probably end up seeing it, so I should know where to catch up. I can give you a crash course. Yeah. But we'll do that off mic. Yeah. Cut this part out. No one cares. <laughs> Cut the whole thing. We're starting the episode. Until <laughs> Mark, it's summertime. <laughs> Yeah, I, oh my god, I honestly had no idea what you were going for at the beginning. I was like, this feels too early for it to be coming out in summer, Will. It's the summer movie season. It gets earlier every year. It does. And the thing is, for ages, those superhero movies would launch the summer. The first Friday of May, superhero movie comes out, starts the summer. Yeah. And that's what was supposed to happen with this. It was supposed to come out May 4th, and then they bumped it back a week. Interesting. They have so many movies this summer at Disney. Like Disney is putting out about a movie a month this year. Yeah. There are like two months that are off. They didn't release one in January, and I don't think there's one in September. Besides that, I think every month Disney has a release. They do have different teams working, though. It's not like all the same people are doing these Right, no, I just the mean they're time. flooding the market. But boy, are they. Okay, uh, it's time for Hard to Podness. excited for Nutcracker and the Four Realms? <laughs> That's what I forgot was coming out. That's um, November's, I think. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Because it has to be near Christmas. Well, December is Mary Poppins. They couldn't put it out in December because they've got another release. Yeah. I, honestly, based on our schedule with Christmas movies and also the general idea of Christmas movies, April seems to be a good month for it. Yeah. They could have dropped it this month. This movie came out in April and it yeah. starts with Christmas. This is a very Christmassy movie. It is. It starts and ends with Christmas time. And it came out in April? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? It's, what is that movie called? While You Were Sleeping, While you were all sleeping. over again. That's a great movie. It is. Okay. Now, for real, it's time for Heart of Fondness. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger, and this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable, or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we've got a listener suggestion from one of the only guests to get their own hashtag, Hashtag Fifi Fierce herself. Yay! And at her recommendation, we're going to be talking about the 2001 British rom-com, Bridget Jones's Diary. So, I'd never seen this movie I before. had also never seen it before, but I had seen Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I... But specifically, I had seen the 2005 Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. I haven't seen that either. It's very good. I will say, the first thing I noticed was, I don't like Renee Zellweger's accent. Interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know. It wasn't terrible. Like, it's not a bad accent. Right, yeah. It's not that it's like you're watching it and thinking, her accent is really bad. It, and it doesn't come in and out like Reese Witherspoon's in Sweet Home Alabama. But, like, I don't know. I'm very used to Renee Zellweger mostly as Roxy Hart. And okay. basically nothing else. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of just so it, was, um, it wasn't that loop. the accent was bad. It was that it was unsettling hearing it coming out of her mouth. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay. And so it just kind of threw me. So her casting was super controversial. Yeah. So this movie is based on a novel. Okay. Published by a British writer. and It's that, not the novel Push by Sapphire. It is not Bridget Jones' Diary based <laughs> on the novel Push by Sapphire. No, it's based on a novel Bridget Jones' Diary, which itself grew out of a series of columns for The Independent. The author 
Helen Fielding was asked by the Independent in the mid-90s to write a series of columns about what it was like to be a single woman in her 30s in the UK at the time. And she was uncomfortable making it explicitly about her own life, so she asked if she could do it anonymously. And she wrote this series of columns that she then eventually turned into a novel that became a big bestseller yeah. in Britain. And people were really into it. And then they were going to be making a movie of it with some of the people who had made other British rom-coms of the period, things like uh, Notting Hill. Right. A lot of the same crew worked on this movie. So the British press covered the casting of Bridget Jones really intently. And a lot of people were looked at it over the course. Like, for example, Rachel Weiss tested for it, and they decided she was too beautiful. <laughs> they also looked at... That's kind of rude to Renee Zellweger. It is. They also looked at Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, and Emily Watson. And they eventually settled on Renee Zellweger, and it was super controversial. There's a lot of, like, tabloid press in Britain complaining about how, like, oh, there are no British women good enough for this role. They had to get an American. British actors have it good enough they get all the jobs they get every job superman is played by a british actor these days they don't need to whine so they were really upset and she spent a lot of time working on her british accent and she talked about she worked with a dialect coach first and started using it just around her daily life i heard a funny interview with renee zellweger where she talked about how stupid she felt going around her daily life to like coffee shops where everybody knew her but she was yeah. talking with a british accent fair yeah but also good practice mm-hmm and she then actually went to the UK to sort of get into Bridget's headspace and to keep practicing her accent. She worked at the publishing house that had published the novel. She worked there for three weeks just like doing jobs yeah. in their publicity office. She worked under the name Bridget Cavendish. What? It- All right. Her job was to compile press about their books. Yeah. Which included compiling press about the making of the movie of Bridget Jones's Diary because the publish house had created it. Which meant that she was compiling news stories about people being mad that she was cast because she was American. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I found this really funny interview with the person who was her boss there. Mm. Uh, it was pretty good stuff. How do you be a boss, like, in that situation? I mean, she was the person who was actually in charge of the office. Right. And she was the person who knew that it was Renee Zellweger. I'm sure everyone knew it was Renee Zellweger. Apparently not. Really? To read it. No, there was, like, one time somebody made a comment, like, it looks like the girl from Jerry Maguire. Was that her breakout role? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, how much earlier was that? it was 95. Okay, so it had been a little while. Yeah, she had done some other stuff since then. And this is the year before Chicago? I, I don't know what year it was released, to be honest, actually. Chicago's the next year, yeah. Yeah. Because she gets nominated for the Oscar for Bridget Jones and loses to Halle Berry for Monsters Ball. And then she gets nominated the next year for Chicago and loses to Nicole Kidman in The Hours. Fair. So, in the midst of all this, the one thing that maybe should have been a tip-off that it was her was, at the time, Renee Zellweger was dating Jim Carrey. And she kept a photo of Jim Carrey on her desk at the office. And some people at the office commented, like, it's weird that she's so into Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I would believe that someone would do that, and it would be weird, but it wouldn't make me think, like, oh, oh they're this a person they're dating, Jim, dating Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah. But, okay. But so this movie, it was something that people were following closely because people were really into the book. Uh, yeah. And when it did come out, it did pretty well. $25 million budget, it made 71 They made two sequels. Is that just domestic? Um, 71 is domestic US, I believe. Yeah, because um, I feel like it's... It is a British movie, right? Yes, it is. So I wonder how much it's it made. It's a British made. production. It's kind In... of heavily financed by Miramax. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 210 foreign. It looks like it made $60 million in the UK. So it made almost as much in the UK as it did in the US. Yeah. That's what I was impressive. wondering. Yeah. Just because it is a British movie. Yeah. 
Next after that is 22 million in Germany. So the movie did pretty well. Like we said, it got an Oscar nomination for Renee Zellweger. She also got nominations with BAFTAs and the Golden Globes. It got a BAFTA nomination for Adapted Screenplay which is written in part by Richard Curtis, who had written some of those other British rom-coms, which is how they got some of the people on board. Like Hugh Grant had been reluctant to join the movie until he found out Richard Curtis was doing it, who he had worked with before. Yeah. And of course, the other big casting involved in this is Colin Firth. Right. Who plays Mark Darcy, which is a name with a great amount of portent to it. Yeah. They made no effort with the Darcy character to not have him just play Darcy like he's done before. Right. So this is five years, six years after Colin Firth had his breakout role playing Darcy in the BBC miniseries. Right. Which was, again, a big hit in Britain and then when it moved overseas. And that had made Colin Firth this big heartthrob. And he lived kind of awkwardly with his fame after that. I read this big interview with him Mm -hmm. when the movie was coming out where he was kind of really down on being famous. He seems yeah. to not like people recognizing him, but also just on that role particularly. I'm reading from this interview where he says, Pride and Prejudice wasn't the most rigorous or challenging thing I've done. I would not do that again. No, I'd, I'd be bored shitless. <laughs> and then later on in the same interview, he says, I found it intriguing that this thing, Bridget Jones, yeah. seemed to be reflecting back on itself. I was aware of it when making the decision and thinking, is this going to make things worse? In terms of him being this heartthrob and this ideal. Right. So it almost seems like he did it hoping to defuse the association of him with Darcy by doing like a modernist take on it. Yeah. But I feel like it just kind of reinforces it. Yeah, because he doesn't do it. Like, I haven't seen Pride and Prejudice. I've heard it's great. Me too, but I feel like he probably doesn't do anything differently because the character is written the same way. Right. Like, this one, this character in particular is just Darcy. Yes. I mean, the Hugh Grant one... The Hugh Grant one is interesting because he's a Mr. Wickham character, but he's interacting with Bridget instead of with a sister. Right. And they can just be more explicit with him. So he, because of the modern times, whereas in the books, he still has to present as, like, a normal gentleman. But in this, he can be much more gross, I would say. Um, Yes, definitely. (laughs) But Darcy, on the other hand, just is the same. He's effectively the same character. The character, yeah. Yeah. But moving ahead, the one other thing I want to note before we dive into the movie is that this is actually our first movie that we've covered directed by a woman. Oh, really? Yep. It's directed by Sharon McGuire, who's a British director. This is her first feature she mm-hmm. had done some stuff a bunch of stuff for the bbc before that right besides that she directed bridget jones three and then one other movie that i had never heard of it was called incendiary which mm. she also wrote and it's about a terrorist attack at a football match interesting so the reason that she got into this in part is because she was friends with helen fielding like really good friends with the novelist to the point that there is a character in the novel based on her really yeah the character of Shazer, like one that? of Bridget's friends, okay, is based on Sharon Maguire. Huh. Interesting. I'm glad that we are covering a movie directed by a woman, but I also haven't realized it took a while. So long. Yeah, but there's just you know not that many. Well, there's a lot, but you have to go into smaller right. movies. Yeah, you have to. People haven't given you them big have budgets. To, right, you do have to make an effort. Right, but we should perhaps we make, should more, of make an more of an effort. Yes. Um, what do you think, Mister Lep? I'm speaking, of course, to the giant stuffed leopard that sits on the table between me and Mark. He's a leopard of few words. Yeah. He's wise that way. All right. uh, Why don't we move into the movie? Okay. So this movie, as we said, it's a Pride and Prejudice adaptation set in 2001 about being a single British woman in her early 30s. Actually, starting off at the beginning of the movie, I just 
was flipping through my notebook and I actually saw my notes from sideways where until I locked down the names, I apparently referred to Thomas Hayden Church as THC in all my notes and I was very confused for a moment. I wrote that a lot too. Very confusing when you glance back at it. Oh yeah. Anyway, the movie starts off with a monologue from Bridget and she describes it as her 32nd year of being single. And so this movie is her charting a year through her life from New Year's to New Year's of trying to live a better life. Right. Than her sort of crappy self. Yeah. So the Bridget Jones's diary takes a framework that's mostly just used in the first chunk of the movie where she's charting how things are going. She's setting goals for herself, trying to be better, take care, better care of herself, live a better life. Right. Because in this film, you know, alcohol dependence is a cute endearing quality because she's a woman. So her problem with alcohol is more of just like a funny plot point than, you know, worrying. Yeah, she is definitely trying to improve it. And it does lead to unfortunate situations i would say the movie is not approving of bridget's alcoholism no but if there were a movie with a man drinking that much in a situation like this it would be more of like an intervention level she drinks she finishes two bottles of vodka in one night at one point in this movie that's true is that at the beginning with the all by myself yeah it's just a lot she is constantly drinking in this movie yeah so smoking but that makes more sense a lot of smoking too so we are going to hit the ground running talking about our first point which is our meeting, at least, Bridget already knows one of them, but our meeting of the two men that we're going to be dealing with in this movie. Right. So it starts off at a New Year's Day party that Bridget's mom has brought her to, and Bridget's mom, who is always looking to introduce her to eligible young men, introduced her to a fellow named Mark Darcy. Yes, whose wife has left him, and within five minutes of this movie, some old man has already made the claim, very cruel, those, in reference to Japanese people in general, because his wife that left him was Japanese. Yeah, but that's the dude who is explicitly sleazy. Throughout is the it that uncle? Yeah, it's the okay. guy who is not Bridget's uncle, insists on being called uncle, and then also regularly grabs her in the tukus. It's uncomfortable. It is deeply uncomfortable. The movie calls that out. Yes. As this sleazy dude. Now, Darcy is wearing this hideous reindeer sweater and is very wooden. He's just sort of grumpy and doesn't want to be there. And right. Bridget's like making jokes with him like, oh yeah, like it stinks to be here when you're so hungover from New Year's Eve. And he's like, mm. he's not responding to any jokes, not having any fun. Yeah. They're pretty bad jokes. Yeah. He insists to his mom later on that he doesn't need to date a quote, verbally incompetent spinster who smokes like a chimney, drinks like a fish and dresses like her mom. And she's wearing her mom's clothing. Yeah, she's literally wearing her mom's clothing. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed is that for a mom who is constantly pushing her to meet men, her Aunt Una is a much better matchmaker because she's the one that actually leaves them alone. Like, she had to drag Bridget's mom away. Bridget's mom wants to make sure that things go according to plan. Right. But that's not how you matchmake. No, it's terrible. Uh, Bridget's dad, by the way, is played by a youngish Jim Broadbent, which yeah. I'm a big fan of because I oh, yeah. always love Jim Broadbent. No, he's great in it, too. Jim Broadbent is one of my favorite people. Yeah. Then uh, after that, this movie turns into Bullet Journal, the movie for a while, where Bridget is setting all of her goals for the year and she's going to track every day how many cigarettes she had, how much alcohol she had, set goals for herself, talk her about what happened. Her which weight. is, she weighs, I think it opens with her at 138 pounds and she says she needs to lose 20 pounds. Well, Renee Zellweger which, gained 20 for the movie. Really? Yeah. But that's so, like, I don't know how tall she is for real, but that seems, like, too too Well, I think the movie does not say that that's necessarily a good goal. Yeah. I think this is her... It also never changes. Right. (laughs) She never actually makes any progress on that one. So the movie actually has a lot of fun early on with the presentation of some of this stuff, where we'll see updates on how that's going. And we get a lot of narration in a way that I think works, 
because we've taken this diary aesthetic. Right. What's a bummer is that it gets completely abandoned. For a long... For most of the movie. Yeah. Because the beginning of the movie very much is Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah. We're getting her internal life and her tracking the way her life goes. Then we lose that. Once it turns into a love triangle, and it just becomes this rom-com. I still right. enjoyed it. Yeah, but I could have used more diary. But, right, that's the thing, is it brings us in with that hook, and I want more of that hook. Yeah, and then it just uses it as a plot point at the end. Right. Like, it abandons it in the middle, and then brings it back just for the end, like the last scene. So she set all these resolutions on how to be better. She says she's going to date good dudes. Specifically, she says she's not going to date alcoholics, workaholics, peeping toms, and perverts, including her boss, who is all four. Right. right. Her boss is played by Hugh Grant, and he is playing Daniel... What's his name? Daniel Cleaver. Sorry for the live sound effect of my notebook right there. <laughs> He's um, playing Daniel Cleaver, who's her boss, right. at the publishing house where she works, using MSN mail to message. Yeah. Also, she's smoking in her office, and this is 2001. I which think you might have still seen that in Really? Yeah. Oh, boy. I you can still smoke in the restaurant to see in, it. In 2001? Yeah. I just felt bad, like, for... Oh, I wrote her name down. Hold on. I really liked this character. Uh, bum, bum, oh yes, I know who you're talking about. Perdita? Per- no, that's the no. dog from the Hundred One Dalmatians. <laughs> Prudentia? Prudentia. Yeah, yeah. So like, I kind of sympathized with her the whole movie because her deskmate is constantly smoking, which has got to be uncomfortable. And that's one of the things about Bridget is yeah, the way that she doesn't take care of herself. Right. And at this point in the movie. It also kind of becomes a higher production value version of the sexual assault training video or sexual harassment training video in the office. Where is the line? Yeah. I'll tell you this. The line is not sending your employees messages about what they're wearing in a sexual manner. Which is what Daniel Cleaver starts doing to Bridget. Right. Out of nowhere. Like, they weren't really that flirty before he sends a message about her skirt being short. No, but he has a reputation for being very flirtatious. Yeah. It's bad. It's really, like, a lot of the relationship between them is very inappropriate for a workplace. So they build this flirtationship based on MSN messages in which they just... I mean, basically, he sexually harasses her, and she just responds. Yeah. She comes in wearing a see-through shirt at one point. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. See-through shirt with a black bra. So it becomes this flirtation where they are seeing one another, but not interacting much, which is a weird presaging of online dating. Yeah. Like, he puts his hand on her butt at one point in the elevator, In the elevator, right. But that actually, that is when he tries to transition it. So they go in the elevator. They're preparing for a book launch for the launch of Kafka's Motorbike. Which, oh, that sounds bad. I love that, though, because the book is obviously very bad. Right. But Bridget, for her job, is trying to pitch it as the best book ever written. Right. And it's so clearly a stupid book. But they're going up to prepare for the book launch, and he's putting his hand on her on her behind. And then he says, like, hey, I want to take you out. And she's like, oh, you know, maybe after the thing, like, some other time. I'm really busy with planning this event for you as you are my boss. Right. And so then Bridget goes and is talking to her friends, including, I assume, Shazer. Yeah. I assume they're named. The other main friend is Moaning Myrtle. Right. Oh, my God. Her best friend, Moaning Myrtle, who is introduced crying in a bathroom. It's great. I was so happy when I saw that because the first scene... I heard the voice and I was like, I know this voice. Yeah, you introduce this friend and she is crying in a bathroom. And then I was just like, oh my god. Granted, her age makes much more sense in this movie than in Harry Potter where she is. is filmed later. Yeah, because it's, when was the Chamber of Secrets comes out in 2002. Yeah, so it would have been filming around the same time probably. Right after, yeah. So she is definitely the oldest Hogwarts student. Oh yes. 
in the casting. Well, Hagrid never graduated. Yeah, but he's not a student anymore. As, aren't we all lifelong students? If you say so, Mr. Redmond, the teacher. Um, but yeah, so that was probably one of my favorite parts of this movie, to be honest. So then she talks to her friends and they're like, oh yeah, he definitely wants to get with you. And they're saying, what you need to do is you need to, at this book launch, be like really hot, but not too into him so that he'll want you. He won't feel The like classic, like, hard to get play. Yeah. So then there's a pretty fun sexy getting ready montage. Where she's balancing between, like, sexy underpants and underpants that aren't sexy but make her look sexier. Right. Which was a really fun weighing. So she's like, will I actually get laid tonight or should I look more appealing to get laid in the future? My favorite part of that is when she's, like, vacuuming in her underwear and practicing talking about Chechnya. Oh, yeah. So she ends up wearing the big underpants, which becomes a plot point later. Because it's a pre-Spanx world, but these are trying to do the same thing. Right. And so then she gets to the party and who is there but her girl oh Perpetua that's the Perpetua Perpetua and Perpetua is there hanging out with none other than Mark Darcy whoa don't forget who else is there Solomon Rushdie yes Solomon Rushdie (laughs) actually in the movie because he's friends with Helen Fielding and Sharon McGuire. Oh, is that how they got him? Yeah. Amazing. When they meet Darcy, actually, there's a funny bit where they do sort of a double take where it's them first meeting and Bridget says lots of obnoxious things to him. Yeah. And then we see the actual meeting where she says like, oh, hello, nice to see you. Which reminded me of a lot of those similar two perspective things that they did in I, Tanya, mm-hmm. But I thought it was better in this because we got to sort of live in the vicarious thing without being like, oh, look, they just like threw something at them. <laughs> I, internal monologue. Yeah, it was internal monologue. And it worked. Which is again a thing that I would have liked to see more of given the diary aspect of the movie. Right. Because that would be a way to do it without putting all the text at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. So she goes up and does all the like she mean things to Mr. Darcy horribly. Oh my god, she she's the book so bad at her job because she starts off by being like, "Yeah, the most important book of this century," but then she sees all their other writers there and is like, "Well, except for your book and, yeah. and all of your books," and yeah. she's like didn't prepare a speech and is now trying to cover for herself. It's a huge disaster. She's such a bad public speaker for someone whose job title is publicist. Well, her job isn't to give speeches. Her but job is to, like, organize press. But still, if she is giving a speech here, then she probably has done it before. And she must have bombed every time. She's also not... That's explicitly not something she's done much before because somebody else is doing the actual introducing of the book. He asked her to introduce him so that he could oh, then introduce the book. that's right. So she's only been brought in to do this job because of the vanity of the other guy. Oh, is that the one with the... I don't. I didn't write down his nickname, but oh, because she couldn't remember his name. Right, that was good. His name is Mr. Fitzherbert, and she calls him Tits Pervert. That was another great inner monologue moment because as she's trying to remember his name in her head, she's just repeating Mr. Tits, Tits Pervert, Pervert. Mr. Pervert. Tits Pervert, Tits Pervert. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Seriously, try it. Tits pervert. Tits pervert. Tits pervert. Tits pervert. Tits pervert. It's hard. It's hard. All of you, try it right now. Hashtag tits pervert. <laughs> That's our most inappropriate <laughs> hashtag yet. It's Bridget Jones. It is. Um, so it goes terribly. She's bad at her job. But I would have. I would probably fire her. Instead, I was. Cleaver comes down and he says, basically, after seeing that, now you have to let me take you out. Yeah. He's really amused by the whole thing. Right. And so. They're flirting. They're having a good time. He talks about his backstory with Mark Darcy. Ooh. Ooh. 
which is that Mark Darcy stole his wife. Or fiance. Fiance, right. Darcy stole Cleaver's fiance. And then he's he's like, oh, do you want to go back to my place? She says no. And then they do this slow-mo kiss. And then it transitions to them making out. Has he already called her a dirty bitch yet? I think so. Probably. I think he says that at dinner. I was like, this is very early to be using language like this. I believe you're correct. I was a little uncomfortable. So then they have sex. Right. And she starts asking, like, oh, what pe- what are people going to say about this at work as it comes out that we yeah. are banging it out? Okay, I don't care when you go home with people. Like, very sex-positive person. But after you bomb at your job, do you think sleeping with your boss on the first date is the best idea? Because I feel like it's opening up a lot of room for people to guess why you're still at your job. Yeah. Because she is so bad at it. She's bad at that thing that is not normally part of her job. No, but she I get the sense that she's not great at it based on perpetuous attitude also. That may be. One thing I also noticed, Hugh Grant seems to have pretty small nipples. I did not pay attention to Hugh Grant's nipples. I mostly, the thing I was noticing about Hugh Grant is that Hugh Grant does this thing with his smile where he's got full teeth showing. It's like a Gilderoy Lockhart thing. Yeah. And his, like the corners of his mouth are like kind of pinned up always and i originally noticed it in paddington 2 he would have been a good gilderoy lockhart i originally noticed it in paddington 2 where it shows the duplicitousness of this actor character right and it kind of works for me in this movie too because it's like hugh grant is always like yeah i'm sexy and i don't always believe it of hugh grant right but he believes it and that confidence helps to sell it remember when hugh grant played sideshow bob in paddington 2 Awesome. What a great movie. What a great movie. We By should way, watch Paddington 2 again. We should watch Paddington 2. It doesn't work for the show. No. By the way, actually, both Hugh Grant and Colin Firth are referenced in the novel Bridget Jones's Diary. Really? Yeah. That's funny. And the character like Bridget that. Jones in the novel interviews Colin Firth and is like super excited to do it because she saw him in Pride and Prejudice. I like that. That's cute. Yeah. I'm glad they cut that out of the movie because it would have made no sense. <laughs> what if they hired other actors to play, <laughs> to play them? Hugh Grant? Who would play Hugh Grant in the late 90s? Uh, Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> okay, and now Colin Firth. <laughs> um, I don't know. Colin Farrell. <laughs> I just threw that out because I confused them. He would have been like 18. Oh, yeah. I just confused them in my mind because their, their names, names are similar. All right, I support this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they start banging it out and they're having a good time. They start dating for a while, and they go... The big thing that they do is they go on a trip together. Oh, wait. I forgot one important question I have. Mm -hmm. After she has sex with him, Mm -hmm. I think it's the night of... Someone calls her, and she answers it, and she's like, Hello, this is the sex goddess, or something like that. Bridget Jones' sex goddess. Yeah, and it's her mom. And I was just like... Who did she think was calling? One, who did she think was calling? Two, why would you answer like that before caller ID existed? Like, ever. I was so... It, I'm going to make that wild. my email signature. <laughs> Perfect. Will Redmond, sex goddess. That's going to say Bridget Jones, sex goddess. Uh, I, don't think that would, I don't think that would be great at your uh, place of employ. Yeah, fair. Maybe your Will personal, Redmond, sex goddess, though. <laughs> yeah, your personal email address. Okay, so they're dating, and the big thing they do is they go on a weekend trip. For a party thrown by the creepy uncle, I believe. Yes. It's going. It's a Tarts and Vickers party. Yeah. Like, uh, what are some of the good ones like that? I don't know. I've never heard of a Tarts and Vickers party. Uh, there's like golf pros and tennis hoes is one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think that's the vibe that they're going for. Yeah. So they're having a good time. When they get there, they discover that Darcy is there. Right. With his lady friend, Natasha. Yes. Which, Who is not really a lady friend at this point. No. Just a co-worker. She's an associate. But pro tip in movies, no good person has ever been named Natasha in a movie. What about Black Widow? Black Widow is a morally ambiguous person. Okay. Um, 
Nope, can't think of any There's others. Nobody. Yeah. Anyway, so Darcy and Bridget kind of like make eye- weird eyes at each other, especially when they're all in boats. They're out in rowboats together for a while. Yeah. And Daniel's having a good time. He's horsing around and he falls out of the boat. And Bridget's like, oh, we're having a good time. And meanwhile, Darcy's just like watching her like, hey. Yeah. I see you in your boat. No, they're clearly the more fun people. Yeah. They're having a good time. Yeah. And he's just like rocking his boat with yeah. Natasha. Well, yeah, because he's rowing, Natasha is working, whereas Bridget and Hugh Grant named they're Daniel rowing, are... They're rowing their own boats, and right. he falls out when he tries to climb into her boat. Right. Which is, it was a fun scene. Yeah, I didn't hate him at that moment. Yeah. He does climb into her boat later that night, if you know what I mean. When they make anal jokes? Yes. And after they are done horsing around in bed, she tells him that she loves him and asks Daniel if he loves her. And he just kind of dodges the question. will not answer. Which is always a great sign. Yeah, that's like, that's a sign of a solid, healthy relationship. That's what you want, honestly. Yeah. So the next morning she wakes up and he is dressed and ready to go. He says he has a meeting on Monday and he's got to spend Sunday prepping for it. And the reason he gives was convincing because he says, like, they're thinking of shutting our branch down if this doesn't go well. Right. You don't know about that because you're not at the top of the company, but like, I need to take care of this. Yeah. Like, stay, have a good time, enjoy the party, but I gotta leave. Right. She goes to the party, she's dressed as, like, a Playboy bunny, and discover that the theme has been changed. It's Mean Girls, essentially, in reverse. I want to see Mean Girls once. Oh, she shows up to a party dressed super scary. Oh, right. And everyone else is dressed slutty, so I was just like, oh, it's Mean Girls, but in reverse. Yes. So she shows up, and there are, like, a handful of other people who didn't get the message, like her dad. Right. Because in the midst of all this, her parents get separated. Her mom runs away to be with basically like a QVC host. Yeah. I guess it's Britain, so it's not explicitly QVC, but right. it's a QVC. And at the party, Darcy is there, and he says that Cleaver isn't good enough for British. And she's like, oh, well, <laughs> for I'm British? Sh- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, he's sure... Uh, <laughs> He says, Cleaver isn't good enough for Bridget. And she's like, well, I'm sure he'd say the same about you. Yeah, and he doesn't realize... I mean, since it's Pride and Prejudice, we all know that it's a lie that he has told her. There's no reason for her to assume that, though. But there's no reason for her to assume that. So, like, in the moment, you have the knowledge that Darcy is probably in the right. But you're still just, like, understand why she's mean to him. Right. And Darcy, like, you're a fun-sucking grump. Not not sympathetic. No. Ever. He's not not sympathetic. No. He's just neutral. He is neutral. So then she leaves the party and heads back and goes to Cleaver's apartment to meet up with him. And at first she thinks he's cheating. And then she's like, oh, no, we're good. And she's trying to laugh it off, get things better. She's like, oh, yeah, when I said I love you last night, that was ironic. Don't worry about that. It was such a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I love telling people I love them ironically. Mark, I love you. (laughs) and then she's all good and then she's going to leave when she notices a woman's jacket as she's leaving she runs back in and she discovers the girl from the new york office is sitting there naked in his bathroom holding a giant portfolio in front of herself and the thing she says upon seeing bridget and cleaver there is i thought you said she was thin which raises a lot of questions one this woman is mean which is not a question but a statement of fact but two why did hugh grant describe what she looks like it's weird i mean at this point we don't know this but they are actually are already together but she must know that it's an open relationship i guess i guess is what's going on but who knows Anyway, that takes us to point number three, which is Bridget now redirecting her attentions more towards Mark and away from Daniel. So she still has to see Daniel because they work together. And at work, he's saying like, oh, yeah, I feel terrible. I'm so sorry this happened to you. 
you know, you and I, we're the same. We struggle to commit. And he says he needed an extra mile to commit. And he says that Laura has that confidence because she's an American. And that's when Bridget realizes that they had been sleeping together before that. Right. And then he announces that he and Laura are engaged. What the actual f***? This was so unearned in this movie. I don't know. I kind of buy it. Because I think that Cleaver is just such a flighty, scummy kind of guy that he jumps on whatever is available to him. Yeah. And as far as Bridget goes, he's got her in the office. And so he can take advantage of that at any time. With Lara, then that seems new. That seems exciting. That seems different. But she's from New York. And so when he feels like, oh, this is what I want, I've got to lock this down, the way to lock down the New Yorker is to get engaged. That's fair. I was just like, the whole time he's so commitment phobic, the idea of him just springing a proposal on a woman. No, I think somebody who's commitment phobic is exactly the person who would spring an engagement on somebody and then back out of it. That's Which true. is what he does. Shockingly yeah. enough, he exactly. backs out of this engagement. It's the kind of thing that in a moment seems like a good idea to him, and then he gets terrified of it. That makes sense. So at this point, she just writes him off and she decides to focus again. We have a nice workout montage where she's cleaning out her house, getting rid of all the books about understanding men. I really enjoyed this montage. I thought it was a good coping mechanism. It's I'm every woman playing. Yeah, it was much healthier than her drinking two full bottles of vodka and singing. For all by myself. Yeah, all by myself. She starts looking for new jobs in TV. and She wants to be a newscaster. She wants to be a newscaster. And the first couple she can't get in because she has no experience right doing any of it i like when she applies for one in children's tv and she talks about like yeah you know the children are the future and i want to work with them and they're like oh do you have any kids and she's oh god no <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, the one she lands on it they ask her why she left her previous job and she says she was shagging the boss and it got out of hand and he he hires her and warns her that nobody ever got sacked for shagging the boss there Again, this movie slips back into sexual harassment training video at a workplace. Right, that's a real tits pervert move. Hashtag <laughs> yeah. tits pervert. Uh, so she quits her job. Cleaver asks her not to leave. She says no and says she'd rather have a job wiping Saddam Hussein's ass. And in that moment, all of her workers sort of stand up with her, including uh, Perdita. Perpetua. Perpetua. <laughs> None of the other characters in this movie matter. No. That's why we don't know who Shazer is. Right. We. I think she's the one played by the Prime Minister of Norway from Veep. That makes sense. She's not Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. We don't know anybody's name in this movie. No. The only, like, distinguishing characteristic I can think of her, like, friend who's a former 80s pop star is that she refers to him as a total poof. Twice, right? Yeah, and that's the only feature she gives her, because this is 2001, or gives him, I mean. It's like we said with Sweet Home Alabama, you can have a gay character, but he's gonna be stereotyped. Oh, for sure. So, she gets into her job in TV, and at this point in her life, she's running into Mark a lot, considering he's a person she had never met before this. Right. Well, except for, as a small child, she ran naked through his pool. Yes. Which we hear about a couple of times. And then C in the credits. It's very uncomfortable. That was not a good choice. Yeah, during the credits at the end of this movie, we see Bridget as a little kid running through the pool. And I get it's supposed to be cute and endearing and like reflecting back to that point where they kind yeah. of interacted as children. But it's awkward after this movie where we're seeing Bridget as an adult, as a very sexually active adult, and now to be like, here's the kid that that is. Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable. I thought about that while I was watching Blockers, which I saw the other day. Yeah. Which starts off with the kids being little and then they grow into being more sexually active and that works a little bit more because we're seeing that transition right and that whole movie is about is about that point that yeah so it works when it's about that idea but 
Not when, when it's, it's in reverse and out of nowhere. Not a great choice. Not a fan. Anyway, so she runs into Mark at a dinner party, which she had had a standing invitation to, decides to go, discovers she's the only single person there. And at this dinner party, oh, God, they're like, scene. oh, Bridget, what is it like to be single? It's so uncomfortable. I felt so bad for her. In the book, they use this phrase to describe a lot of the people she interacts with. They refer to them as smug marrieds, which does describe a lot of people in the movie. Oh, yeah. It's a nice piece of slang right there. But anyway, at the dinner party, he says he's glad it didn't work out with Cleaver. And she gives him this whole speech about like, look, you don't need to make me look like an idiot. Right. I'm doing fine on that on my own. And he replies with this apology that it's right out of Pride and Prejudice. It starts off listing all of her faults, but then it ends with him saying, I like you very much just as you are right which then becomes the hook for the second half of the movie yeah so then they have like a relationship kind of they're like not really but they're much friendlier right. he helps her right out after with he says career. that natasha interrupts oh yeah so they aren't able to resolve that admission. yeah so then they have a you know he helps her out with his career he gives her a right she's actually working as a newswoman now right and she's been tasked to interview this person who was supposed to cover the she's to cover an immigration case right and the case happened basically in secret because they wanted to keep the tabloids out right but she runs into mark discovers that he is the attorney the defense attorney the defense attorney in this immigration case and so he gets her an exclusive interview which also at this point the only thing she's known for is they make her slide down a fireman's pole and her skirt rides up on national television right up against the camera oh yeah so he also helps to legitimize her a lot right that too because this is clearly a skeezy news channel. Right. Which is why they hire this woman with absolutely no experience. Right. So then after that, after the interview airs, he comes over to congratulate her as it's her birthday and she's cooking dinner to have her friends over. And she is yeah. doing a horrifying job of it. Oh my god. She just puts normal string around some celery and throws it in a pot and all of the <laughs> dye leaks out and it turns blue. And I'll say this, Bridget has good friends. Yeah. Because they eat all of it. They shouldn't eat that. It's probably poisonous. They eat the blue soup. It's so gross. It's a funny joke to them. It's not like, uh, this is a toxic dye that is leached into your soup. Here's the thing. It's a funny joke to them. How many bad Bridget meals have they eaten? I think none because it's... Is this part of the, like, new life? Yeah. They were all surprised at her cooking dinner. Frankly, good, and I hope she never cooks again. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. So, all her friends come over. Darcy stays for the dinner. And her one friend, the former pop star gay character, gives a birthday toast to Bridget, talking about, you know, how great she is. And he ends it with, to Bridget, whom we love just as she is. Yeah. Because she had told them all about that. Right, using the exact line. And we see Darcy kind of register it, but not really do anything and this is when then cleaver shows up yes drunk with a bottle one thing i liked about the movie is i kind of forgot about him yeah because they focus so much on darcy bridget moves on with her life she quits her job she's not seeing him anymore yeah so then he comes kind of out of the blue which I enjoyed because it was just like, oh, right, this guy still exists. This movie has a series of tonal shifts that it actually executes really well. Right. Because we have the sexed up romance yeah. time with Cleaver at the beginning. And the way that it makes the transition is by getting rid of the character. Yeah. And as Darcy comes in, the movie takes on more of his character as well. It becomes yeah. a little more sedate. It becomes more serious. We also forgot to mention that Darcy is engaged. Well, no, she doesn't know yet. Darcy's dating Natasha, but they don't know. Oh, yes. Don't know no, he's engaged yet. I forgot. I forgot how early this... um... Yeah, this happens earlier than you'd think. Yeah. But so that's... What that means is that then we've taken on sort of Darcy's role in the tone of the movie. Right. So when Cleaver shows up, it's not just this character showing up, it's distorting the movie that we've been watching. Right. I think the movie is really well set up that way. Yeah. So he shows up drunk with the bottle. He said he thought she might be alone, and he hadn't been able to stop thinking about her. 
Ugh. Boo. Apparently, Lara broke up with him because he wasn't over Bridget. And at this point, Mark interrupts is like, uh, I'm going to leave. Bye. Yeah. I don't want to be here for this. I hate that guy. He's a jerk. He's terrible. I thought we had something going, but I guess not. Peace out. And Cleaver then responds. He like puts his arm around Bridget and says, at least stay for a birthday drink with me and Bridge. Ew. And so then Mark leaves and then he comes back and he demands that Daniel go outside with him. Yeah. And they start having a fight, which was not choreographed. You can tell. (laughs) It's just the two of them wailing on each other. Which is a good choice because it's... It's much so more funny. believable it's that believable these two posh funny. guys don't know how to fight. Just like bumping into each other. Yeah. <laughs> While it's raining men place. A really bad cover of it. Yes. They should have just used the original. It's like a really great idea for a needle drop. Yeah. But they should have used the original. They should have just used the original. It would have worked so much better. Yeah. But it's a really extended, ridiculous fight it's scene. It's pretty funny. They end up in a Greek restaurant. <laughs> where someone's birthday is happening. I think they ruined the cake in the shape of a Parthenon. It's a pretty good sequence. And in the end, Mark wins, but Bridget yells at him. Right. For beating up on beating him up. Right, because she still thinks that... He stole Daniel's fiance. Right. So then Mark leaves, and Daniel says they should go upstairs together because they belong together. And he says, if I can't make it with you... I can't make it with anyone. Not a romantic Not line. a compliment. No. You are my last choice. This will not be the dating tip from the end of the movie. No, for sure not. And Bridget says, she responds to that. She says, that's not good enough for me. I'm still looking for something more extraordinary than that. Yeah. Which takes us to point number four. Which I've labeled as bummer time. Bummer time. Bummer time. That sounds like a good name for a character. Bummer time? Bummer time. Yeah, what would that be a character from? I don't know. Something where you can be super on the nose. I was gonna say like a fantasy thing. You would spell it weirdly. It would be like B-H-U-M-M- A-R. A-R-T-Y-M-E. H-M-E. T-Y-H-M-E, yeah. <laughs> Not T-H-Y-M-E, T-Y-H-M-E. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bummer time. And he's like a very slow-moving troll. Yeah, this would work in Discworld. That's where this would fit. I have not read Discworld. You should read it. It's a great, it's a, you know, fantasy comedy series that parodies any genre imaginable. Great. It starts with a more traditional fantasy, but ends up, there's a book about making fun of a postal service. Great. And uh, early Hollywood as well. That does sound excellent. I think you would really enjoy it. So anyway, speaking of our favorite ogre bummer time, (laughs) Bridget is now having a bummer time of her own. Mm. And our year is now almost up. There's another Christmas party happening. And before it, Bridget's mom mentions that Darcy is going to be there. And she talks about like, oh, yeah, Darcy, like he's had a rough time in life. Like, did you know that his best friend had sex with Darcy's fiance? His wife. Darcy's wife. And that that broke up his marriage. Yeah. And that's where Bridget realizes, oh, the story that Cleaver told about Darcy is actually the reverse. Yeah. What a surprise. The really dickish guy who sleeps around didn't have his fiance stolen. Who could have guessed? So instead, she realizes that she had the whole situation wrong, that all the time she had yelled at Darcy, been like, oh, you're glad things didn't work out with Daniel? Well, like, screw you. Yeah. And when she's yelling at him after the fight, that all of her anger towards him was based on something that wasn't true. Right. It was based on a lie she had been told. So that's when, at this party, she apologizes to Mark for having believed the lies, and she says, you said you like me just the way I am, and I just wanted to say likewise. And then right after that... Darcy's dad interrupts to announce to the whole party that Mark has gotten engaged to Natasha and he's going to move to New York. Yeah, he got hired at a New York law firm, which while Will and I were watching, we both looked at each other like, but there's very different laws between London and New York. 
Like, does he have to take the bar exam he, again? He would have to take the New York bar, yeah. Does he have to go to law school again to learn enough to pass the bar? That's a good question. Because the U.S. and the U.K. do not have a similar law system, really. Not really. I mean, the U.S. has elements of common law, but the U.S. also has a constitution, which the U.K. does not. Well, officially, the U.K. does have a constitution, but, but it's, it's every law in Britain. Yeah, it's not a formal written document. So, who knows? Anyway, Bridget is really upset. She gives a very bad speech again. Yeah. And then she leaves. She basically yells out, ah, at the party, and then has to cover by making a bad toast. That's how I, why would they hear the engagement? Yeah. Uh, we should make that a thing. We just leave by going, ah, ah! and then run away. <laughs> I want you all to do that in your life. Hashtag, ah, <laughs> figure make, out how to spell it. Yeah, mix up your capital A's and H's. All right. So she runs away, and Mark is going to be leaving, and that's the end of the movie. Bye. Twist. <gasps> Point it's number not... five. <laughs> Point number five. This is a surprise. I thought if there you were only four. If you weren't keeping count, we did not get point to point number five yet. Okay, so we've got a point number five. Darcy comes back. <gasps> he What's said, surprise? He says he couldn't leave without kissing her goodbye. Oh, so cute. And he says like, oh yeah, I'm going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that was just a line. Yeah. <laughs> Which I actually like that too. Right. I like the acknowledgement because I feel like people do that in real life. But they're like, say something cool. And then they're like, no, this is obviously not true. (laughs) I wonder if he got to New York, failed the bar, and then covered up that he was coming back by saying he was coming back for her. That's definitely not what happened. I like to think so. Anyway, she is really excited and she's getting changed so that she can like get changed into her sexy clothes. Right. She wants to, you know, have the special moment. Right. She's trying to manufacture it. And while she's changing, he's, like, just poking around, and he finds her diary, and in it he reads her first impressions of him. Which is not cool. No. Don't read someone's diary. And also, both of you disliked each other at first. I think this was pretty clear. But it's pretty cutting stuff. Yeah. And he leaves. Yeah. And she's freaked out. She's really upset. She chases him out in her underwear. Yeah. She's wearing, well, she's wearing, like, her panties and a top and a coat. Yeah. Is she wearing a coat? I think it's a robe. Oh, right. Yeah. And so she's running down the street after him. Down several streets. Yeah. And catches him coming out of a store. And she says, like, it's a diary. Uh, Everyone knows diaries are full of crap. And he goes, I know. I was just buying you a new one. Time for a fresh start. And then they make out in the snow on the street. And he wraps it up in his coat. And she's like, nice guys don't kiss like that. And he's like, yes, they do which i think the f***ing wasn't earned no i think if he just said oh yes they do i would have liked the ending more it's trying to make darcy more of a like sexy guy than he actually is right part of the appeal is that he's just kind of a stodgy dude yeah so i don't know how do you but it ends with the end which gets crossed out and then it says the beginning yeah how do you feel about the last diary reading conflict part um it's fine yeah because it's worth noting also that it's not actually a conflict Right. Darcy doesn't read that and be like, oh, never mind. I'm not going to get with her. Right. Bridget freaks out because it she feels thinks like that's what's going to happen. It fe- I, you can understand yeah. that. That would feel really upsetting. Like, oh, God, what have I done? Right. So I think I'm okay with it because it, if it were actually a conflict, I would be annoyed with him. Since it's not yeah. actually, I don't mind as much. What I thought watching it was if they had played up the diary thing more throughout the movie, I would have liked it more. Which I think we agree they should have done because it's a fun device. But because they didn't, and this is like the one time the diary comes back, I felt like they didn't need it and they could have just ended it when he first shows up with a big kiss. Yeah, they could probably do that. 
Because... I like the moment of it maybe not working. I think it fits more with the way that Bridget's life goes. It does. But I think, I mean, honestly, I think it would feel really... too pat if he just showed up again and that was it. Yeah. I'm, what I'm really just saying is they should have used the diary more throughout. And right. it would have justified that ending more. And it would have felt more in place. And that's my thing is I like this movie. Like I said about the structure with the characters and stuff, I think yeah. it does a lot of things really well. There are some really cool shots in this movie. When Bridget and Daniel are going off on the road trip, there's this cool aerial shot of her coming out of the house and then going in the car. And the aerial yeah. shot kind of like swings around and tracks the car. So there's really good stuff being done here. But it just feels like a movie that was close to being even greater. Yeah. It's good. It could be great. Yes. I agree. But what do you think? Are her relationships with Daniel and Mark believable? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. They're not always great, but they're, they're not always appropriate. Right. Especially with Daniel. Cool. But I would say they're believable. Yeah. Where would you rank this? Um, okay, let's do them separately. Bridget and Daniel. Usually we just do the movie as a whole. Because that was an issue on, it was an issue on Sideways, where we had to talk about oh, yeah. Thomas Hayden Church and Sandra O oh versus Paul Giamatti and Virginia Madsen. Did we compare them and then rank total, or did we rank both? We just ranked the movie. Okay. Um, in this movie, I would rank it. I think it's high. An eight? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like every piece of it, some pieces of it are a little bit contrived. The diary at the end is a little bit contrived. Yeah. So but, it's definitely not a perfect 10. Right. And I think there's the thing where she has never interacted with Mark before and now sees him all, bumps into him all the time. Yeah. But I would say it's an eight. It's really good. Yeah. Um, um, do you think any of them are dateable? Honestly, no. Not, not really. for me. No, Mark has some nice qualities, but is also very stodgy. Yeah. He is not nice. He's not, not a nice person. He's a mean person. Yeah. It seems like he's good at his job. Yeah. He's a smart lawyer. He's doing good work, too. He's, like, protecting... Honestly, he's probably a QC if he's arguing at the Old Bailey. All terms I learned watching shows like Broadchurch. Uh, great show. I think none are dateable Daniel's me. a hard no. Daniel's a hard no. That Bridget, would barely need to talk. Bridget needs a few more diaries. She needs to get her life a bit more in order. Yeah. If you had to date one person, who would it be? I don't know. Because I like Perpetua, but also undateable. Because she's kind of... She's also very stodgy. Yes. Uh, Natasha sucks. Yes. Maybe, I mean, I, I, probably because he's a gay character, I'm drawn to the former 80s pop star, but also he seems really fun. Okay, I was gonna say Jim Broadbent. Oh, forgot about him. Because I always love Jim Broadbent. For sure. He's a, he just like really loves his wife. And yeah. just like wants to live like a little life with, life with his wife. Yeah. Do you think Bridget and Mark stay together? Um, based on the movie, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think... That, honestly, you can't go into a relationship changing someone, but because she is already trying to make changes to her life, having someone to support her in that... Can be really helpful. Can be helpful. So to help you hold yourself accountable. Right. So she's probably able to, like, make it work. Yeah. Like, her life changes more with Mark's support, so I think it could work out. Of course, there are two more movies. With yeah. Love Triangles in both of them. So, <laughs> clearly it doesn't. The next one is the same three people. The one after that, instead of Hugh Grant, it's Patrick Dempsey. Really? Yeah. Where does the baby fit in? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, boy. Uh, if but... you know where the baby comes in, tweet at us. Hashtag BFACS. BFACS? That's, that's our only fact account. Yeah. Any fact you want to tweet at us in general are BFACS. We will find a way to relate them to bumblebees. Always. Um. So, yeah. I think that does it for this movie. All right. Next week, we're going to actually do another listener suggestion. We're going to be covering... A uh, more recent movie. We're talking about top five. Yes. Chris Rock mm -hmm. um, and a bunch of other famous people that I'm totally blanking on right now. It's okay. It'll be a good time. Yeah. This is uh, recommended to us by a listener named Josette. 
Yeah. And we're super excited. She sent excited. us an email, and we love getting listener emails. Yeah, please email us. Heartofpodness at gmail.com. We're so excited when we receive them. We're planning on doing a lot of listener requests this summer, so it yeah. should be a good time. We love always, our listeners. Well, you can always Just send them because... to us on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, or again, via email. Yeah, because we love the love. We love and the we love. And we love you. Aww. Um, so... Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? I'm going to say give bad speeches because that ultimately gets Bridget two different men. She gives the bad speech at the book launch, which gets her Hugh Grant. And she gives the ah, hashtag ah, which gets her Colin Firth at the end of the movie. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, That's another good piece of advice. If you try and make self-improvement changes in your life, you'll probably end up with a better quality of man. Okay. Maybe. All right. That works. Yeah. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. It's raining.